How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily Milwaukee Bucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Eric Name. Alongside me is my good friend and co-host, Frank Madden. Frank, how are you? Uh, I'm fine. And, you know, I forgot to point out last night, you know what really helped last night after watching that Bucks game? What? Um, I... I think I tweeted about it, um, but after the game, I was I was traveling. I was in Dallas for work, and uh, after that game, you know, I was just like, you know what, I'm gonna go down to the lobby. I'm gonna go buy myself a Snickers ice cream bar in that, uh, you know, like the little like mm-hmm. gift shop thing or whatever. And I did that, and it was really enjoyable, and that really uh, took some of the sting out of uh, out of watching that Bucks game. So that's my that's my that's my way of coping right now. Ice cream. That's that's good. I. Let's see, we, were, we recorded, and then I went home, and then I ate some McDonald's, and I felt terrible about it, and I think the Bucks just made me feel terrible about that, so hopefully they what, don't... What, what did you get at McDonald's? Uh, breakfast, so I got, a, yeah. I got a McGriddle and a hash brown, and... I felt okay about that. The griddle, the or sorry, the uh, the hash browns at McDonald's are, are tremendous. Agreed. Pretty much any potato product, the fries or the hash browns at McDonald's are tremendous. And I don't know, I, I feel like we're skewing it. I know at the Ringer it was like fast food week. I haven't really read anything about it, but I just kept hearing about it on their podcast this week. So I don't know. I'm not intentionally bringing us into fast food, but you did bring it up no i did but breakfast mcdonald's breakfast now that it's served all day like that's the that's kind of the way i can like justify it if i was eating like burgers and fries i'd feel bad about myself but you know a little breakfast on the on the (laughs) way uh (laughs) on the way to bed uh you know what whatever i'm gonna i'm gonna let it rock so uh yeah all right, um, we are not recording an emergency pod right now because Terrence no. Jones is not nearly that important. Um, but the Milwaukee Bucks signed Terrence Jones. Um, or it's not official yet, um, but they have reportedly or will reportedly sign Terrence Jones for the rest of this season. And I will say my mentions were very excited about it, and I don't know if I'm that excited about it. It's interesting. Terrence Jones is a guy... I feel like I've got history with Terrence Jones. Terrence Jones is a guy Whoa, that what? Well, not not like history history, oh. but um, in 2012, Steve Von Horn and I, I think I think I'm correctly saying that, that I think I can speak for Steve that we both liked Terrence Jones going into that draft. I think we, I know I certainly he was probably the guy that I would have been most excited about the Bucks picking when they selected John Henson. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know he had kind of a quiet rookie season, then he had a really good second season and then had had some just some weird injuries was productive in his third season but missed like two-thirds of the season and then man his fourth year in houston um big expectations that he could you know get healthy be a productive member of that team going into a contract year uh and he was just he completely fell apart and um you know he ends up i was shocked when he signed for the minimum in new orleans last summer i figured someone would take you know 
an earlier flyer on him. It seemed like he was a free agent for a while. Yeah. And then he kind of went back to being so similar to the guy that he was in his second and third seasons. He wasn't as efficient scoring as his true shooting numbers were were not great uh, this season in, in New Orleans. But, you know, he put up decent numbers. His efficiency numbers were okay, you know. Um, and certainly, I think when you look at it from the perspective of, you know, a former first-round pick who is 25 and has been productive and played on some good teams, um, you know, interesting that, you know, again, he's a guy that was available at the minimum last summer. Uh, and despite being pretty productive for a bad Pelicans team, um, you know, again, I, and I think his, the circumstances of his release uh, after the Boogie Cousins trade, I think, were largely due to, um, you know, just him feeling like he probably would not have much opportunity with Davis moving mainly to the four and sharing and the same agent, sharing the same agent as, as Boogie. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, they may have been a, a little quid pro quo with, with wanting him to go someplace where you could play more. And, but interestingly, I mean, he clears waivers despite making no money <laughs> and, uh, and obviously, uh, teams had not been clamoring for him. Um, despite the fact that he can play. I mean, you know, I think there are probably a number of pretty good teams that could have benefited if they had roster spots from from adding a guy like Jones. But um, also an interesting player, though, because, I mean, again, he's a he's a power forward who really isn't much of a shooter. He will try to shoot. Um, as someone who watched a lot of Rockets games, I never had any confidence that he would make three-pointers, <laughs> even though he was, you know, up to about 30% at, at various points um, in his career. But, you know, again, a... Uh, a strong physical guy, um, not maybe not an elite athlete, but I'd say a good athlete um, and kind of in the modern NBA. Uh, you know, I think I remember when he was coming out it, thinking that, oh, he's a little he's not ideal size for for a power forward. Um, you know, he was like, I think, like six, nine ish two fifty when he came out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, um, not a, you know, six eleven seven five wingspan guy. Um, but, you know built like you know very well you know he was not a guy that you looked at and said oh that guy's got to put on a bunch of weight in the pros like he was he had a man's body coming out of Kentucky and um has some versatility to his game you know um can can do a little bit of a a number of things but you know just isn't great at at anything which is probably why you know here we are in March and he's a free agent and he's latching on with the Milwaukee Bucks to you know see if he can do something and maybe uh generate some some value for himself going into the summer but um, I don't know. I haven't talked about his fit with the Bucks. I mean, that that's probably I've sort of given some of the reasons why I think he's an interesting player and and worth somebody taking a shot on. But I'll reserve my opinion here for a moment. But I mean, what do you foresee Terrence Jones actually meaning to the Milwaukee Bucks, given the very precarious position the Bucks are in at this point? I have no idea what Mirza Toledovic did to Jason Kidd. <laughs> this was the first thing I thought of too. But he had to do something terrible to him that he would be one of the Bucks' major free agent signings and can't get off the bench. And when they have a chance to play him in this last game, he gets just eight minutes. And then... The last two games, right? Because Beasley Beasley only played nine minutes the game before in Cleveland. Yeah, but I'm saying fresh slate. Like, say you could plan for and figure out, like, okay, Beasley's not going to be in this game. He only gets eight minutes in that game. And now before the next game where he could have got minutes, oh, we signed Terrence Jones. And if Terrence Jones takes any of his minutes this game this next game on friday which you would assume is the case like you don't you wouldn't sign this guy unless that was the plan i i just can't comprehend it (laughs) like i like i just do not understand what the bucks thought they were getting with with mirza toledovic did or really 
like Jason Kidd has coached him before. So whether this is Jason Kidd, John Hammond, Justin Zanuck, whoever is a part of this move, they all knew what they were getting with Mirza Sladovich. Like the the personnel guys could see it. Jason Kidd has coached him before. They knew what they were getting. How can this guy not sniff the floor? Like, it just does not make any sense to me at all. Um, so that that's immediately where my head went. So I guess I don't even have to worry about his fit with Mirza because he's just going to take Mirza's minutes. Um, how he fits with other guys, I guess he can kind of fit with John Henson. Um, Henson can do a little bit of the rim protecting, but he's not the worst rim protector. I, I think he's been about a career a little bit more than a block per game. Um, so I think he's probably a little bit underrated in that sense. So maybe he could do some things um, with Thon, but again, that would re- require Thon playing more than 10 minutes. Um, so I guess, how does he fit with Greg Monroe? Um fine i guess um that there's not really enough rim protection there um not enough floor spacing um i I know i talked to mason ginsburg a little bit and he had mentioned that uh he does he doesn't necessarily love long twos and if he's going to take a a longer jump shot it's probably going to be a three even though he only shooting uh 25 from three this year um so floor spacing doesn't really do anything and and I, and I guess for me I guess why I wasn't all that excited was to me it seems maybe unlikely that he's here past these two months they, like this is if it would have been like a two-year deal for Terrence Jones super cheap it'd have been like oh okay they took a flyer and they're gonna get to keep this guy and have a cheap role player off the bench but now this is essentially just a two-month showcase and for as many decisions as they already have to make this upcoming offseason and trying to figure out how to put together a roster around Giannis, adding another person to that mix doesn't seem likely and seems more like, okay, the Bucks can have him for two months and then, well, we'll just let him go kind of wherever he needs to go for that next spot. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I posted, uh, I, I was uh, traveling during the afternoon when this trade happened and got home tonight and I sat there uh, trying to think of some sort of opinion of this deal and you know he's a good player for somebody who's available right now um but like you said i I mean you know if you start from a position of sort of bucks nihilism which i kind of feel like i am right now then it's kind of hard to get really fired up about any move (laughs) um you know given just you're just not going to find really interesting players on the trademark or on the free agent market right around this time of year i will say one nice thing was googling who his agent was and not seeing that it was jeff schwartz like seeing that it was not jeff schwartz was a definite positive for me today (laughs) um so yeah i i think it's uh, you know i mean Again, I, I I don't mind him as a player at all. Um, I think this summer, if if you if they had signed him this coming summer, knowing that Jabari was going to be out a while, um, that could have made some sense to me for sure. Um, but you know, part of the issue is I view Giannis defensively as more of a four now. Anyway, uh, I mean, I have for a while, but um, but it's just a little weird because you know, unlike Beasley, who you know is much more of a you know outside in capable of you know playing the three or the four probably playing more of the three this year um you know jones isn't a guy that you're just going to give the ball to on the perimeter and have him just go to work like that's not the way he plays for better for better or worse right um he's definitely much more of a kind of a four who uh you know has limitations in terms of his his ball skills um not that he's like completely incapable there but 
but he's definitely more of a four. And, you know, uh, players like that who, who don't stretch the floor um, and, again, are kind of like, you know, sort of jack of some trades, master of none. Um, it's, it's just harder to kind of get value out of those guys, I think, in the modern NBA. Um, you know, I think he's definitely going to be a better defender than... Um, then Toledovich, obviously, he's going to be a better defender than I would say Beasley as well if you play him at the four. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, again, what the Bucks kind of get out of this, I, I don't know. You know, they get a little, you know, a, a chance to kind of look at this guy and, and just sort of see how he is. Um, you know, it's been some questions about him off the court. Um, he did have the the charge. Um, he's from the Portland area. Um, and I think he, well, maybe it was after his first year or something, he think was charged with like kicking a homeless person or something like that Mm -hmm. some story that didn't didn't sound particularly good obviously um but you know the other thing to factor in here you know much as as jason terry vouched for michael beasley um and obviously i think that clearly worked out uh you know both terry and beasley played with terrence jones um pat last season uh jason terry the past two seasons so those guys you know i'm sure you know might have been asked uh if you know what what he's like as a person in the locker room etc so um you know the bucks have have some from useful firsthand intel there so um you know i guess we'll see right i think the question is where you know how do they use him how do they, you know is he going to play you know does he suddenly become the power forward backup does he you know, basically sit on the bench and not really do much at all for the rest of the season. And, you know, I mean, who knows, right? Um, Handicap uh, it. Handicap it for me. What do you think he does? What I think is minutes. Well, if we look at the minutes, so... I will. I will say this, Eric. I mean, you said um, what? I, what did you say about Toledovich that he can't sniff the floor or something? I mean, he's averaging 16 minutes per game in in 49 games. Beasley's 17 minutes in 50 games. Um, so I mean, they're they're a lot closer in minutes than I think you know we might often think. Um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, it's it's kind of tough to say exactly how that's all going to shake out. Um, I, I think he'll play. I mean, you know, again, I don't think they would assign him if, if they had, you know, if they were going to just give him the Spencer Hawes treatment. Um, but I, I do think it's interesting. And I, th- I, th- I think the thing when I look at him is I, I wonder, does he make, you know, my, my, my first kind of screen for, for what they do right now and what they did at the trade deadline is, you know, does it matter for next year? Obviously, probably not. He's not signed for next year. He's young enough that in theory he could be back. Um, does it make Giannis or Thon better? Does it make their lives easier the rest of this year? Um, I don't know, unless you make an argument like his physicality defensively, like maybe he could, I don't know, help those guys avoid some brute and some, you know, batterings in the post or something like that. But he's not like, you know, Terrence Jones is a stout post defender either. He's just a bigger guy. Um, so, so I don't know. I mean, and again, I think the, the thing we always come back with Toledovich and why we remain, um, you know, citizens of the Toledovich archipelago is <laughs> that, you know, he does stretch the floor and, and that provides value. And that's why the Bucks have been awesome with Toledovich and Giannis on the court and not awesome when those pair, that pair is not together. So, um, so I don't know. I don't necessarily see that kind of like dynamic uh, benefit for for a guy like Giannis. Um, but Terrence is also is. I mean, he's been historically a really good finisher. I think he's sixty nine percent inside three feet. So in the restricted area in his career was up over seventy percent his first two years in Houston. Um, so he, you know, again, he knows how to finish. He knows how to use his body. Um, he's got a decent little like well, if he can back down, kind of get a little hook shot, um, can work the offensive boards at times. Um, 
but again, a little bit of an underwhelming rebounder. You know, you look at his rebound rates, um, ha- has not been great. Really, his past couple of years, his offensive rebounding has fallen off a lot. Um, defensive rebounding this year, actually 20%, which is a good number for a power forward. It's a little less than Giannis, but, um, but you know, certainly not a guy who's going to like shore up the Bucks' defensive rebounding either. So, I, so I don't know. It'll be interesting <laughs> to see. You know, I mean, maybe, I don't know. He, he's you know he's 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 decent. We'll, we'll see. I I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh, but he's not going to shore up the Bucks' defensive rebounding. Well, I, I think we've found that that just might not be something that's possible. <laughs> um, because I mean, I've, he, I've heard he a number of guys are supposed to do that, and he's well, definitely he's definitely going to shore up the Bucks' defense overall. <laughs> I mean, clearly, 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 Terrence Jones is going to put his thumb in in that and and uh, shore up those leaks. But uh, but the defensive rebounding, I can't make any promise. <laughs> yeah, top ten the rest of the year because of Terrence Jones. Um, I don't know. It's just it's going to be interesting to watch. Like I said, um, it, it's fascinating because you kind of get a look at this guy that I mean, people have kind of always asked me about. I think in the summer, I had people in my mentions asking if the Bucks should make a play for him. I, I don't even know. He's been available at trade deadlines before. Um, like you said, you guys liked him when he was coming out of the draft. So this is a guy Bucks fans tend to enjoy or tend to think highly of um or tend to want when they hear he's available but i think with with terrence jones and with any guy that is so often available there's a reason why someone is so often available like guys like that stay available because like you said he he's not the best at any skill he's not elite at any skill like he's just solid across the board um and and maybe it is maybe he ends up being a nice player likes it in milwaukee still doesn't really command a high value and maybe you can offload one of the contracts that you don't like this this offseason sign him for cheap and then he's a part of the future for the next two or three years I i don't know if that's the case maybe that is and maybe um that's part of why you bring him in for these two months but uh like i said it's it's fine it's a very low risk move um things can't really get worse um so that that that's not really a concern and I, i mean the only thing that the only things that could happen are kind of good things um he could like it here. He could kind of find some chemistry with some of these guys and you could find a, a cheap piece going forward. So, um, we will see. We will, we will definitely see what Terrence Jones does. Um, do you have anything else? Sorry. Well, are we, are we pouring one out for the, uh, Axel Tupan era? It was, it was not long. Um, it it was it was magical though, wasn't it? It was. I hope he enjoyed his time in Milwaukee. Good luck, Axel. <laughs> other other things to talk about. Obviously, the Bucks have a game coming up on Friday, but eh, I don't really want to talk about that because they're not playing super great right now. Um, I, I think one of the other hot topics has been Joel Embiid is out for the rest of this season, or at least that's what the Sixers are saying now like they've shut him down and he's not gonna be around anymore and that makes the rookie of the year race I think quite a bit more interesting um and I I don't know I think it's interesting for a lot of different reasons and I guess let's start here can you give Joel Embiid the rookie of the year award in a season in which he played 31 games this is a good question um because I think this is the crux of the issue, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, in principle, 
you, I mean, you really shouldn't give a guy a, a major award when he's played, you know, basically 37% of the season. Um, but by the same token, you know, you look at sort of like, you know, value over replacement, wins added, that type of stuff. Um, he's still way, way ahead of any other rookie despite barely playing this year, right? Um, so while, you know, being able to play the game is sort of the first step to to being a valuable NBA player, <laughs> um, this rookie class has been so bad that, uh, you know, realistically, he's still, I think, kind of right right there at the top with without that much competition and um you know it's interesting to to let me ask this question in a different way would media members give that to him because uh, when i've been talking about rookie of the year with people they'll bring up advanced stats and uh win shares and all these different measurements and in my head all i can think is i don't know if mainstream media people are gonna be thinking like well his PER is way better than the rest of these guys. Like, no, that's not how they think. Like, wouldn't you think that most mainstream media people would say 31 games, not enough, next topic, right? I don't know. I mean, normally I would say yes, but there's a, such a, a dearth of other qualified candidates, you know, that um, I, I I think there's a legit chance he could win. I, I think if I was voting, I would actually vote for him. Um, and of course, I'm sure a lot of Bucks fans would say that's crazy. You got to vote for Malcolm Brogdon. Well, you know, I'm obviously <laughs> not saying this as somebody who is who who is a Bucks fan. I'm just saying yeah. if I were in a you know a an impartial uh, national writer who had a vote, um, I would think I would still vote for Joel Embiid just because I just don't think you know anybody else has really been good enough to really deserve <laughs> that kind of award. Um, and his impact is impossible to deny. Like you just can't. Yeah. Like he, he was right. absolutely fantastic in those games. Right. And you know Malcolm Brogdon. I mean, again, his numbers are you know vastly better than probably the other guy who's gotten a lot of discussion of late, which is Dario Saric. Um, you know, a lot of people have talked about Saric. He's had, uh, I think he was just named Eastern Conference Rookie of the Month. Um, he's been putting up much bigger numbers of late. But, you know, you look at his numbers on the season, he plays for an even worse team than the Bucks, And, you know, his true shooting is under 50%. Um, every advanced metric is clearly worse than, than Brogdon's. Um, and, you know, Brogdon has actually, you know, again, Brogdon's been a contributor who the, has made the Bucks better, I think, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, now bursting into the starting lineup has been putting up better numbers of late as well. Um, I, I would say this. I don't think Malcolm Brogdon is going to win Rookie of the Year if his um, scoring average doesn't get above 10. Um, just because <laughs> I, I do PPGs, think... PPGs, baby. Vote, voters are superficial enough for that. He's at 9.8 right now. So um, so that number c- could go up. Um, but, you know, Brogdon's also a likable guy. Great story. You know, generally very media savvy. You know, nobody dislikes Malcolm Brogdon. So I think that certainly um, will help his his candidacy. And since the All-Star break, you know, 15 points, uh, five assists, um, 1.5 steals, um, only one and a half turnovers. So Brogdon has has been playing well since the All-Star break. 50% shooting from the field, 47% from three. So, um, you know, I think Brogdon's going to have a very legitimate shot. Uh, but part of me is also kind of like, you know, Brogdon kind of like backing into a Rookie of the Year award. I'm sure he wants to win it. I would be happy for him if he wins it. Um, but by the same token, it's just like Malcolm Brogdon being kind of like the Mike Miller type Rookie of the Year winner and having that just sort of like trail him around. I, I don't know. Part of me, part of me just like wonders if that would just sort of skew 
I don't know. I, I I don't know if it. I don't know if he if it would be like even like a healthy thing for for his career even, you know? And maybe I'm thinking selfishly because part of me is thinking, well, that's probably going to make him more expensive to retain even though it's just a, you know, random award that doesn't really mean anything in the grand scheme. But um, maybe I'm just... Maybe How I'm just looking dare at my you talk about the Rookie of the Year award like that? Yeah, well, we just saw Michael Carter-Williams um, stumble drunkenly through, uh, <laughs> you know, a season and a half in Milwaukee. So that that's probably also coloring my, my impression. So I, I don't know. I just really don't. I, I just... I think winning rookie of the year in a year when nobody, no rookies were particularly good other than Joel Embiid is just sort of like, eh, whatever. It's kind of fascinating to look at rookie of the year. The dudes that have won it, like you're either undeniably a stud, maybe a hall of famer, like certainly an all-star or you're asking good God, how did that person win? Like, let's look at this list. Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, MCW. <laughs> then look at the Damian Lillard, Kyrie Irving, Blake Griffin, Tyreek Evans, Derek Rose, Kevin Durant, Brandon Roy, Chris Paul, Emeka Okafor, Lamar, LeBron James, Amari Stoudemire, Paul, Paul Gasol, Mike Miller, as you mentioned, then Stevie Franchise, Elton Brand, Vince Carter, Tim Duncan, Allen Iverson, Damon Stoudemire, Jason Kidd, Grant Hill, Chris Webber, Shaq, Larry Johnson like it's just it's just kind of funny to think like there's a ton of dudes that have won the award and it's like oh it makes total sense that that dude was rookie of the year because he's amazing and he was incredible from the moment he got in the league and then there's some other ones in there that are like what happened the year Emeka Okafor won rookie of the year like good god Uh, I don't know it's just funny to kind of think of and it's like you said it's the same thing with mcw and it would be the same thing uh like you said with mike miller and it would be the same thing this year with with malcolm brogdon um if he would win that and again that's not to say that it's not an honor or not a great thing um but in a year where the rookie class is so down it's not much more other than a a pr opportunity for the milwaukee bucks to show off the that they drafted this guy in the second round and all of you other idiots passed on him like that's that's essentially what what you're getting with with that rookie of the year and like you said maybe when contract extensions come up maybe he's a little bit more expensive and i mean we all know how mature he is so i can't imagine a rookie of the year goes to malcolm bragdon's head um but yeah it's it's just it's a shame that the rookie class is that bad that there's just not many candidates and like you said man i i can't imagine many of the the mainstream media people would be super happy voting for a guy that didn't get at least 10 points per game even if he is contrib- contributing in other ways even if he he does have good assist numbers and steal numbers and having a positive impact on his team man i, I do like you said i do feel really strongly that they would find it difficult to to give that guy rookie of the year yeah i think it's going to be a fascinating litmus test because um you know you don't see anything like like the the Embiid games played thing is never a factor in in other awards because there's never a shortage of great mvp candidates only it's only when you artificially constrain it you know but i mean but i mean look i I, I totally agree i'm just kind of thinking of like a, a hypothetical where you're thinking man did that guy that played 31 games, does he deserve MVP this year? Like, how bad would the league have to be? Well, I mean, I mean that's, yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, the only situation in, in which one player would be so vastly better than everybody else that you would consider him being up for an award despite playing, you know, 
60-70% fewer games is when you artificially constrain the sample of players, right? And you say only rookies in this year and, you know, in this year it just happens to be really bad, right? But if you take 400 NBA players, which is, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, actually 450 or wh- however many number of players are in the whole league, okay, then then it's easier to find a lot of good <laughs> ones. But when you just look at rookies, hey, you know, some years it is a bad year for rookies and this this just happens to be one. So anyway, I would, I, again, I would be happy for Malcolm as a person. He's obviously, um, you know, a fine young man. Um, and I'm sure the Bucks would be thrilled to get some, you know, positive press and positive PR in a year when obviously things have, have gone awry, let's say charitably, um, here after, after a good start. Um, but you know, again, if, if it was up to me, I don't know, I'd leave the, I'd, I'd leave the vote blank or I'd, I'd probably vote and be, <laughs> Um, and, and I, I, you know, again, I, I, I also, part of me also as somebody who, you know, I don't want to say we were like Brogdon pessimists, but I don't know, maybe, maybe we could call ourselves Brogdon realists. In like we th- were kind of like enthusiasm temperers. Um. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Brogdon has been obviously been better than we expected him to be right. Absolutely. We did not expect him to be, um, you know, as much as he's not a, a great NBA player at this point. Um, he's definitely become a very solid NBA player, and um, and that's certainly much more than you can normally expect of a second round pick, especially one the, uh, from the Bucks uh, over the past decade. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think especially when he got into the starting lineup and had that triple double, you know, people kind of started to go crazy about you know Brogdon becoming you know the missing link starting point guard. You know, can he be a, this really good player? And it's like, well. You know, you don't want to say a guy isn't going to improve even if he is 24. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, do I think Malcolm Brown's going to be an above average NBA point guard? That's a really high bar. <laughs> <You> <laughs> yes. Know, there are a lot of really, really good NBA point guards. And to even be an average NBA point guard as a starter is is saying a lot. I mean, you're getting paid an absolute ton of money if you're an average starting NBA point guard. Um, and, and hopefully Malcolm Brogdon earns that kind of money one day. Um, yeah. but, but yeah, it's, um, I, I think you have to be a bit, a bit tempered and you hope that he continues to improve. You hope that he, you know, kind of works out the kinks in that jump shot, speeds it up a little bit and continues to shoot 42% or whatever yeah. he is from three. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, he's been a good player and, and hopefully he continues to get better. Um, but you know, I think being, you know, let's just look. I know we're all looking for for positive reason to be optimistic. Um, I, I think we can all hope for the best with Malcolm. Um, but let's not also put you know the weight of the world on him and and put a ton of pressure and say that he's got to become you know again this really really good NBA player for for him to be a success. He's already a success relative to where he was drafted, and um, you know again hopefully he gets better and um, hopefully a year from now we're saying man. Can't believe we didn't think that Malcolm Brown could be an all-star, Eric. Look how far he's come. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, selfishly, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna plug something I wrote today um, at ESPN Milwaukee. I wrote about Giannis and the possibility of him being on one of the two all-defensive teams, Frank. And I, I'm uh, you made me think of it with the Brogdon Rookie of the Year talk, so I wanted to bring it up. And I think it's it's going to be very difficult for him to do it. And uh, some of the stats I found while I was looking it up were kind of fascinating to me. Um, so I'm just going to kind of lay it out for you. And then I want you to let me know if you think he actually has a chance. Um, and also anyone, I would encourage you to go read it. I 
did a bunch of research on it. So uh, I'm very proud of it. So you should go check G- it out. Give the man some clicks. Yeah. Is what we're saying. Um, okay. So all defensive team last 20 years, Frank. There's only been 64 players to be awarded all defensive first or second team in the last 20 years, which is about the same as all NBA. So, like, essentially, it's very difficult to do. There's, like, an average of 2.7 first-time recipients every year. And it's difficult because, obviously, defense is kind of reputation-based and kind of you're thinking about guys that have done it before and you know for sure are good defenders. Um, To make it even harder on Giannis, there's – this is not like the all-star game. The ballot is two guards, two forwards, and a center. Um, the forward spots last year were occupied by Paul George, Draymond Green, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul Millsap. Draymond Green and Kawhi Leonard, I don't think could be bigger locks um, to get the first team spots. Uh, those two finished first and second in defensive player of the year voting last season. Um, George and Millsap may struggle a little bit. Um, but for Giannis, this is also uh, something he's working against. The Bucks are currently ranked 22nd in defensive rating, obviously. Um, the defense is hemorrhaging points as we speak. Um, somehow they're not even playing and they're still giving up points. And they reside, they're currently outside the Eastern Conference players. So in the last 20 years, only nine players have made an all-defensive team with their team ranked in the bottom third in defensive ranking. Just one player, Anthony Davis in 2015, made his first appearance on an all-defensive team with his team ranked in the bottom third. Just 11 players have appeared on an all-defensive team while their own team failed to make the playoffs. Kirilenko in 2004 was the only guy to do it while making his first appearance. Giannis is obviously trying to make his first appearance. You know his stats well. He's He was flirting with two blocks and two steals per game for a while. That's only been done six times. Um, you see him night in, night out. Uh, what do you think? Do you think he can get one of those essentially two forward spots left on the all-defensive teams? I'm kind of torn with this. I mean, it, in a way, it, it almost feels like no buck should should be on an all-defensive team on general principle. Um, totally and, agree. And and I think uh, that, that those numbers kind of speak to it. Like, it's very difficult if your team stinks on defense to get on an all-defensive team which it it should like that connects logically yeah and i think Giannis, his strengths are are kind of big man more more big man strengths when you think about him defensively like um and and i don't know maybe it's maybe it's it might might just being negative i don't know i mean it it feels like Giannis's defense has not been uh let's just say as the team's defense has gotten worse it, it doesn't seem like Giannis has 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 gotten any better um you know we were talking about the other night about how many times he got back cut um in uh in the first half of uh the game which which game was it the other night oh it was against Richard Jefferson um and honestly the game before as well against Utah yeah. Hayward killed him as well yeah um just seemed to not be in position um I mean I think he's I, I think he's actually at, I don't know. I, I mean, again, it, it's kind of hard to judge him, right? Because he, he's obviously such a different type of frame, and his his strengths show up in different ways than like a traditional perimeter defender. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I think when he's twenty feet from the basket, um, I, I mean, I don't think he's, I don't think he's an all defensive team guy when he's defending on the perimeter. Um, you know, as athletic as he is, it, it seems like he's still 
it really struggles laterally uh, on on small forwards and wings, you know, which again, it's like he's 6'11", okay? Like, I mean, you got, you got to be realistic. Like, yeah. there aren't many 6'11 dudes who, who are going to be able to keep small guards in front of them. Um, but it, I think that does show up a fair bit. I mean, he, he's not a guy who you're going to put on, um, you know, a, a small forward, like a great small forward, and he's just going to, like, lock him up. Like, that's mm-hmm. not really the kind of guy he is. He's, he really is... A, a guy whose strength is is in his ability to to be a team defender and and you know be everywhere and cover you know the, the entire court and and help and you know get into passing lanes get steals you know he's become a, a good defensive rebounder um, so he's he's harder to judge right and it, it's it's so interesting how you know I feel like when I was growing up in the mid nineties you know watching basketball defense like the quality of a guy's defense was either you're a big guy who blocks shots. Or you're a wing player who just like locks down in isolation, right? Like that was sort of what you thought. And now defense has changed so much and so much of defense is about help and having to be able to recover, especially if you're on the bucks, um, (laughs) that, you know, I think it really, it, 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 if you apply those old kind of, um, templates, um, you know, Giannis isn't sort of a traditional big guy rim protector, but he blocks a lot of shots um, mm-hmm. and he's also not a, you know, he's not like a, a Kawhi Leonard style shutdown, <laughs> shutdown corner, you know, type, type of one-on-one guy, but he does get a lot of steals. And, you know, as we said, he does get defensive rebounds. So, you know, he does a lot of the kind of sort of counting stats type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think in December when everything was going well for the bucks and the defense sort of hadn't completely fallen apart, um, I would have said, you know, I'd, I'd definitely put him in there, right, over a guy, you know, I'd put him there with, with George and, and Paul Millsap. Um, I, I don't know. It's just kind of tougher now, right? Like, do I think Paul George has as big an overall impact defen- defensively as Giannis? Uh, I don't know. I mean, the, is the Pacers defense, like, special? No. Um, but, you know, Paul George is sort of the opposite. He doesn't really do a lot sort of as a help guy, but he's awesome as sort of a one-on-one defender. So it's really hard to compare him to some of these guys. Um, so I don't know. I, I think I think he may have, I think he has a decent shot at getting second team um, just because there's so much buzz around him and he does have the counting stats. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I'm sort of my second half Bucks pessimism also makes me kind of feel like, you know what, given the way, especially <laughs> the Bucks, you know, of all the things that have gone around for the Bucks, I mean, the defense has been the first thing. And, yeah. you know, I think you know, you're not going to start with Giannis there because he's the Bucks best defender by, you know, a mile in terms of overall impact. Um, but I, obviously it does hurt his case overall when, you know, you look down and say, oh, okay, who am I voting for? Okay. Giannis, well, how good is the Bucks defense? Oh, yeah, it's bad. So I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not, uh, I think he's got a lock on the most improved player award, probably. Um, but I, I guess I can't say lock and then probably. But <laughs> I think he's, I think he's probably going to win most improved player. Um, but I think defensive, uh, all defensive team might be a little bit harder. Um, it would have to be more like an Anthony Davis. You, you pointed out Davis making it um, despite being on a bad defense and yeah. being more of just a, a stats guy um, with block shots and stuff like that. I think that that would be sort of more the template. I think for Giannis. Well, I think kind of what fascinates me is obviously he has the counting stats, and uh, I think Anthony Davis is obviously the example I would draw on. Like, did Anthony Davis deserve to have that in 2015? Maybe not. Like, the Pelicans' defense wasn't very good, but the I mean, he was just impressive. He had, I think, over a steal a game, 
two, uh, two and a half blocks per game, but he, he was all over the place. So, like, that was something that was exciting and new, and like you said, there was a bit of buzz around him, so you could see Giannis getting in there. And I think one thing I'm just fascinated by is with with Draymond Green, I think the thing you think about with him is, man, how cool is it that this guy can play up a position, cover fives, and then if you need him to switch on to guards, he can do that sometimes. And, I mean, Giannis essentially plays the same position as him. I mean, we, we think of him as a point guard because we see him play point guard and all that, and I know that's kind of part of the exciting part of him. But for all for all intents and pur- purposes, he's a four, if not a five, defensively, right? So in that same way, you're very impressed with Draymond Green being able to sometimes switch on to a guard but then for Giannis, you're penalizing him because he can't lock up small forwards. Well, if Draymond Green had to cover small forwards all the time on a garbage defense, could he do it? I don't think so. <laughs> like he, I, I'm, I'm very confident that he couldn't do it. Um, but since Giannis is on this bad defense, he has to do all of those things. Like He can't be that Swiss Army knife that just kind of gets to have his strengths shown off and showcased and allowed everyone to kind of see what he can do and then those super cool gadget things that he can do sometimes get used once in a while like he has to do all those things all the time so I don't know I think it's just fascinating because if a guy like Draymond Green can win defensive player of the year and he he's not a he's not a lockdown guy I don't think like I don't think Draymond Green lockdown defender he's great one-on-one against fours and fives but Giannis is great one-on-one against fours and fives um so I don't know it it, I'm totally fascinated by it all the numbers that I found were were fascinating to me as well that so few guys have been all defensive on, on all defensive teams and so few guys have done it while making their first appearance and their team isn't in the playoffs and uh, they have a bad defense overall. So I don't know. I, I think he's a fascinating case and I'm super kind of excited to see how it all plays out and see if maybe that buzz he has can get him over the hump and get him on the squad because I think one with, with all defensive team, I feel like once you get one, getting two, three, four, five is so much easier. Like there, there's just the idea that, okay, I've voted for this guy before. I know he's a good defender, and if the next year maybe his numbers dip a little bit, and I'm not saying that will happen with Giannis. If anything, they could continue to get better. Is the defense actually makes more sense? But um, if you get that first one, it makes those so much easier. And then all of a sudden you're racking up six, seven all defensive team appearances, and then you have an impressive resume as you're, you're thinking about things historically. And I may be getting ahead of myself, but just getting that first one is, to me, feels like a big deal for him. Yeah, it's definitely a, a, an inertia-type award, right? Like, you, you establish yourself, people get used to seeing you there, they mentally categorize you as a great defender, and then, you know, that's just, you can just kind of live off your reputation, sort of the the Kobe Bryant effect, right? Where he was, you know, I don't know how many years he stayed on the all defensive team after he probably deserved to drop off. But, um, but obviously you hope with Giannis, if, uh, if he can get out, get in now, um, that he will not only continue to deserve to, to, to be an all defensive type guy, but that, um, you know, he will, uh, he'll continue to kind of rack up those awards. And that's the thing with all defensive team. Like once you get there and you've had three or four, it kind of just becomes a habit. Like, okay. Yeah. This guy's, he's still good defensively. I think, Sure, he he can be on the all defensive team. Like some of the ones Kobe picked up late in his career. Come on, like no, 
he just wasn't. I'm sorry. Um, so there, there is a bit of a legacy to it. And it, like I said, if he can get started early, that would be awesome for him. Yeah, we'll see. And much like Brogdon, uh, potentially winning work of the year, uh, certainly Giannis getting all defensive and most improved, all those things would uh, would maybe add a little bit of sunshine, a <laughs> little, little something for people to feel good about. Um, by the way, uh, weird weekend, right? Clippers yeah. and Raptors in a back-to-back at home, yeah. which I, I don't know. I, I, I'm sure the stat is somewhere. I'm not sure when the last time the Bucks did a back-to-back at home. Um, I can't imagine a time when fans were less interested in <laughs> seeing the Milwaukee Bucks twice in the span of 48 hours in person. Um, but uh, you're going to get it anyway if you want it. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, uh, I don't know. Clippers, they have Chris Paul back. Um, they got worked by the Rockets the other night, um, but nominally they are certainly uh, in a much better position health-wise than they were previously. The Raptors kind of in the opposite situation. Kyle Lowry is now out, um, but by the same token, as much as Lowry has tormented the Bucks, um, the Raptors generally have tormented the Bucks for quite some time. So uh, I would say the the deck is definitely stacked against the Bucks, uh, especially from what we've seen of late. But, you know, it's just like one of these things you think about it, you look ahead, and it's just like, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the Bucks are randomly going to just have one of those <laughs> nights. And this, this, that, this, the, that would be very Bucks of them. This, the switch gets flipped, and uh, suddenly everything comes together. So I don't know. I will I will hope for uh, for Giannis, big numbers. I hope you and Alex Boder have a 40-point speculation yeah. conversation. Um, I hope we see Thon Maker. Hey, how about some double-digit minutes for Thon Maker? That would be cool. Um, would would if only if only the Bucks could find a way to bring DeAndre Jordan out of the paint, one of the best rim protectors, paint defenders. If in the only league. they had a if foolproof only, way to do it. Oh man, how could they get a, that done? Huh. If only there was a large human who hmm. DeAndre was forced to guard, who could hmm. credibly shoot the ball from far away from the basket. No, huh. who could? No. Only that could. Only that could be a thing. Yeah. Um, by the same token, uh. You know, we're gonna have to cross our fingers that DeAndre doesn't just break Thon in half. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I don't. I mean, it's like whatever. You know, Greg Monroe is sturdy. Do we really think Greg Monroe has any better chance at stopping DeAndre no. Jordan lobs? No. no, no, he's gonna get hurt. I think last year he was just absolutely posterized on a, on a DeAndre lob. So, um, it it we will see. I I do think it'll be interesting. Um, Giannis versus Blake Griffin. Yeah, could be uh, could be pretty fun to watch. Um, maybe that maybe they'll dust off Terrence Jones and have him go in there and just you know take a baseball bat to to, to Blake Griffin. Maybe maybe Whoa. that's what Terrence Whoa. Jones's role is. Yeah. Whoa! Wow, Frank, that got dark in a hurry. Um, <laughs> I'm not encouraging it. I'm just. Whoa! You know. um, a quick forty point huh uh, anecdote for for Alex and I uh, when the Bucks were down by God knows how much in that second quarter and they had twenty one. What was it? Fifty two to twenty one or something of that nature. Um, I jokingly looked at him and said, 40, huh? And he goes, for the Bucks, For the game? And, yeah, that was that was perfect, perfectly witty and depressing, and, man, that was, that was not fun. So hopefully it is not like that on Friday or Saturday night at the BC. Um, hopefully they are, are great games, the Bucks show up, and everything um, goes back to normal, at least for 
for those two nights. Uh, it's not going to be probably possible for the season, but at least those two nights. But Milwaukee Bucks still, still, still just two <laughs> games out of the playoffs. <laughs> the Detroit Pistons will not allow the Milwaukee Bucks to fall out of the playoff race. The, the, what, did, what the hell is going on in Charlotte, by the way? What the, they lost by 17 in Phoenix tonight. They're 26 and 35. I, I, I don't understand. They actually have a, pos- a slightly positive point differential, but they, my God. Ooh, we should start tracking that, Frank. Do the Bucks still have a... a no, no, slightly negative. Oh, man. That's really sad. Thought they were going to be able to keep that going for a little bit longer. All right, um, that's going to be it for us. This has been Locked on Bucks. Thanks for coming along on this strange, wonderful journey. Um, uh, I don't even know what we all talked wonderful? about today. Did you just say wonderful? Yeah, okay. I think I think this was a good episode. I enjoyed. You have stuff. a very you have a very high opinion of our personalities, I guess. But uh. <laughs> um, just myself. Um, so we will we'll be out of here. We will talk to you guys on Monday. Um, hopefully, we get to record a happy podcast on Sunday. Uh, that was Frank. <laughs> I'm Eric. Or maybe we'll just kind of laugh through it. Um, this has been Locked on Bucks. We'll talk to you on Monday. Fall has arrived at JCPenney, the perfect time to refresh your home. From now until Sunday, get up to 50% off select comforter sets, furniture, and the most comfortable mattresses from top brands like Tempur-Pedic, Sealy, Beautyrest, and more. And save 50 to 60% on select sheet sets, plus an extra 15% with your coupon on select home items. Hurry and soon. That's getting your pennies worth. JCPenney. Coupon valid 928-109 on select home items, furniture, and mattresses. Prices valid 928-101. Selections vary by store while supplies last. Savings on regular and original prices. Intermediate markdowns may have been taken. Some exclusions. Apply. See store or jcp.com for details.